Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Interrupted, the third message in the Calder series by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray today, as the slide says, that your word would interrupt us. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us, we ask. And I repeat the words of Ezekiel. He says that as the Lord spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me. Yes. Lord, that's our prayer this day. Amen. In your wonderful name. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, you'd like to make your way to the book of Jonah. Confession time, I love the book of Jonah. And I think most of us here, by the time we're finished may have a love-hate relationship with the book of Jonah, but uh, we'll probably identify a lot with Jonah. Uh, Has anybody here played basketball or know much about basketball? Yeah, yeah, great game. You'd be pleased to know that in my football days, I played one game of basketball. Uh, We had a church team and they said, hey, look, we need somebody else to fill a spot. Can you you come on the team? I said, yeah, I'd love to play basketball. Apparently, I didn't know it's illegal to hip and shoulder people in basketball. And so they said, look, you know what? Perhaps it's not your spiritual gift. Let's not uh, come back next week. But, But one thing I did learn about basketball is they have something that we don't have in football. It's called a timeout. Uh, for, for the children in the room, which most of them are left, my parents never believed in the time-out ministry, by the way. <laughs> uh, they didn't receive that spiritual gift. Uh, but uh, this is a different kind of a time-out. You see, in basketball, uh, the coach is allowed to be right close to the edge and, and he's running up and down and he's bellowing orders to, to everybody on the, on the court what they should be doing and how they should be playing and, and, and defence and offence and all those sorts of things. And, and when everything's going chaotic, he, he calls a time-out. And what he's done is, or she, what they have done is have essentially interrupted the course of play. They've interrupted the game because they need to grab hold of the players and get a message to them. They need to redirect some people on the court. They need to tell the big ugly bloke to stop hip and shouldering everybody when they go past them with the ball. That was a lesson I had to learn. The hard way. But there are seasons in our lives when God calls a time out. When we're headstrong and we're going our own way and God's going, you know what, I've got to call a time out and stop the play here. I've got to call you back. I'm bellowing orders, but you're not listening. And so I need to interrupt you. Can I just say today that God's spiritual gift is interrupting human beings. He has a way of interrupting us personally. He has a way of interrupting church. And 2,000 years ago was the greatest interruption in humanity when God stepped into our world. He interrupted us. And today we're going to look at a man that was interrupted and what that means for us as individuals, what that means for us as a church. There's, There's some enormous challenges in this book. Uh, it's an enormous challenge for me. I'm, I'm accustomed to eating fish, not the other way around. <laughs> and, and a lot of people have said, you know, maybe it was a, a this kind of a way. Look, all I know is this fish was about the size of the fish I catch. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> 
sorry, I forgot proclaiming the truth, right? Yeah. That's in the fine print, Robin, you'd be pleased to know. <laughs> All right, if you've got your Bibles, you've found your way to, to, to Jonah chapter 1. We'll get to that fish in a moment. Uh, if you've made your way to Jonah chapter 1, uh, we come across an interruption right away. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai and before we go any further we must know a couple of things about Jonah Uh, Jonah was born in Galilee Jewish tradition interestingly enough there's no evidence for this in scripture no evidence for it outside of scripture but interestingly enough Jewish tradition holds that Jonah was the son of the widow of Zarephath don't know but we do know that he is the successor to Elijah and Elisha So if you're here today going, well, no, hang on, the book of Jonah was just a good Sunday school story and and it's really just a parable, boy, which we draw. No, this is an actual man. These are actual events that happened. In 2 Kings chapter 14, you can read about Jonah, son of Amittai, who prophesies to the then evil king, Jeroboam II. Interestingly enough, he brings a word of comfort and a word of peace. Jeroboam, you're, you're an evil king, but God has said you're going to reclaim distant territories that have been taken off you. A prophecy that Amos would later come and say, no, 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 that's not going to happen at all. And so we don't know a whole lot about his history, but we do know that he was a real person of history. This is not a made-up story. And before we go any further, God interrupts Jonah right away. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And this word is not a word that Jonah wants. You see, Jonah's got everything going okay for him. And he's kind of, you know, everything's going all right. I'm prophesying. Everybody likes me. I'm not being persecuted. You know what? They didn't really like Elijah and Elisha, but they don't seem to mind me. Everybody's leaving me alone until God interrupts Jonah. That may be some of your stories today. I found something about the calling of God. It's nearly always first met with reluctance. When God interrupts you, it's often met with reluctance. We might ask questions, why me, why not someone else? Here's a looming question that's in Jonah that we're going to answer today before we finish. Why didn't God just move on to somebody else? Why didn't God just... Let him run away and go and find somebody else. The whole reverse fishing thing is rather scary. But the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And here's what the word was. The word was, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, now Nineveh in those days was the capital city of Assyria. And the Assyrians used to often uh, hassle Israel. Uh, you can read about the Assyrians uh, in the time of Elisha. Second uh, Kings chapter 6, when Elisha and Gehazi are standing outside their little, uh, their little shack, and there's a whole Syrian army on the hills, <laughs> that was one of the moments. Uh, Elisha had been given off some trade secrets and so they wanted to get rid of the prophet. But these guys used to hassle Israel all of the time uh, and they were quite violent people. Uh, they were known for their violent raids. Uh, they were known for their lack of mercy and the debauchery. They would often flay their victims alive, for those who know what that means. It's not a, it's not a good day uh, if that's what happened. So uh, Israel hated Syria Jonah had a distaste for Syria. And where does God call Jonah? You need to go to the most prominent city of that time. Uh, Syria is uh, northern Iran, I believe, uh, if I get it right, in in today's northern Iran. Uh, But you need to go there and you need to call them to repentance. Maybe if I bring this into the vernacular, we might understand. Imagine we're in the middle of World War II. 
And imagine that the atrocities that have been committed by the Germans against the Jews have gone all across the globe and people are starting to understand the atrocities and how they're treating the Jewish people. Then imagine that God comes to a little Jewish man in America and says, go back to Germany and call them to repentance. That's probably where Jonah's at. Will Jonah be killed in Nineveh? There's a good chance. These guys, like the Egyptians and many others, threw morality out the window a long time ago. Uh, life was cheap in these days, particularly if you were hassling people and calling them to repentance. So this word to go to Nineveh was no light thing. This wasn't, you know, go to the north side, that's bad enough, but go to the north side and call out against them. That, this, is, this is akin to say, if God had called you to go to northern Queensland or Papua New Guinea, here's what Jonah does. He catches a plane to Tassie. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Verse 3. Can we just press the pause button before we go any further? God is ready right now to do his work in Nineveh. Jonah's not ready. Hold on to that thought. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, get this part, from the presence of the Lord. God's presence and God's power rests in his call. Jonah, you're running away from God. Before we go any further this morning, if you're a God chaser here this morning, stop it. He's not running away from you. If you find yourself at distance from God, seek the Lord, seek him. That's completely different to chasing him. You don't need to chase God. Often what happens is if you're trying to find God, just stop for a moment, turn around, and you'll find him right there. God's the one doing the chasing we're going to see. Ever heard that uh, saying, well, such and such just fell from grace or such and such just... You can't fall from grace, by the way. You can only fall into grace with God. Uh, He just kind of fell into sin. (laughs) That's not what happens with Jonah. Uh, Have a listen to this kind of intentionality. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, one. He found a ship, two. Uh, uh, He paid the fare, three, and he got on board, number four. This wasn't an accident. This wasn't Jonah waking up in the middle of the ocean going, hang on a second, I missed the train. Where the hell did I end up here? I'm supposed to be going to the north side and I'm ended up down at the Gulf Coast. That's not what's happened here for Jonah. He is deliberately and intentionally rebelling against God and the call of God and he's running from God. Is he running because he's scared? Turns out, by the time you get to chapter 4, that's not what Jonah's problem is. Chapter 4 is very powerful. We'll get there in a moment. But the Lord, we hear, hurled a great wind. (laughs) Uh, Can I just press the pause button? If if you're running away from God and you're running away from his calling, give up. Give up now. It's going to be a whole lot easier if you stop now and turn and say, Lord, have your way. And Jesus put it like this. It is better for you to fall upon the stone and be, and be dashed to pieces than for the stone to fall on you and crush you. Stop running. If you're running away from God, you, where can you go that you can flee from the presence of the Lord? And running from God may look like many things. You might say, well, no, I'm not running from God, but, but you're putting distance between you and God. You know where God's calling you. You know he's calling you to a greater commitment. You know he's calling you to set yourself aside and, and enter into the calling, but you're running away. You're hiding. You're jumping from church to church, maybe trying to find the place that fits. Maybe you're trying to, maybe you're reading books that backs up yours. See, God, I told you, all these books back me up. God never wrote them. He wrote this one. 
And so if you're running from God today, what are you running from? And why are you running? And if we're honest with, the, with ourselves, there's probably been a period in all of our lives when we've run from God. When we've said, you know what, God, I'm going to go my way. I know if God called me to Papua New Guinea, I'd prefer to go to Tassie. But the Lord hurled a great wind. That verse will mess you up. Meditate on that for the rest of the week. Because everything that's about to happen to Jonah didn't happen by accident, and it wasn't the enemy, it was God. That verse will mess you up. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Things aren't looking good. Just as we're coming into the next set of verses, please remember that Jonah was called to go to a pagan city and call out against that, to stand up in a pagan city for God and to preach and declare God's truth. And he's running away from God. And where does he find himself? On a boat full of pagans. If you want to know where your calling is, can I give you a couple of hints? First, pause long enough in the interruptions to ask what God is taking you away from. Second, have a look at what God's rubbing your nose in. The people God has called you to help are probably the people on your boat right now. As we work our way through these next verses, I want to ask everybody in this room, who's on your boat? Everyone in this room has got people on their boat. People that God has placed you in the midst of right now. They might be people at your workplace. They might be your family. They might be sons, daughters that have once walked with the Lord and are now off doing their own thing. It could be, it could be the people in your workplace. It could be the people on your bus. It could be the people in the supermarket. It could be the people at the gym. But the Lord heard a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. We live in a culture today that say they are post-Christian. We are post-Christian. We are post-God. We are post-religion. We don't need God. We're all good. But when the storms of life happen, what happens? They'll cry out to whatever God they think that exists. We are living in a culture today, whether by their mouth or by their actions, they're crying out for somebody or something to fill a hole inside of them. But where do we find the man of God? When the storms come on this boat, where do we find the man of God? Is this a challenge to us? Is this a challenge to us as a church? Is this a challenge to us as individuals? Where do we find the man of God? Having a snooze. Listen, I've been fishing. If you went fishing with my stepfather, you prayed before you left the boat ramp. And can I tell you, I've been in rough seas, but never, never did I get up the front and curl up and go to sleep. (laughs) You know, the captain, he's got a word. I think he's got a word for us. Have a listen to this. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo. They're trying to fix everything. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to light it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, lay down and he was fast asleep. Verse 6, so the captain came down and said to him, I find this to be one of the most powerful verses, at least in this chapter. He says, what do you, he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? What's the captain saying? Yeah, everything, you're the guy that's got the answers. You're the one that's got the answers. You're the one that knows what's going on. You're the one that can fix everything that's going on. And you're the one having a snooze. We're crying out to our God. And where's the man of God? Where's the church today in today's culture? Can I tell you that Nineveh is just there and it's waiting for us? 
Are we asleep? Confession time. I think I've been asleep for too long. What do you mean, you sleeper? What, what do you arise, call out to your God, and perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish? You know, in the interruptions of life, Jonah knows exactly what the problem is. Jonah knows exactly why the storm's there. Jonah knows exactly how to fix it. We'll get to that in a moment. You know what? Often in interruptions, we ask the wrong questions. Uh, just because my email inbox has been empty for some weeks, I thought, you know what, let's fill it up. So let's, let's fill it up. Uh, do you know in the last three or four years, the Church of Jesus Christ has been asking the wrong questions? The questions we've been asking are, is Bill Gates the Antichrist? Is the vaccine the, the mark of the beast? Uh, are we all going to die? They're all the wrong questions. What we should have done is stop long enough to ask God, what are you up to? If you want my opinion, I think God called a time out. It, it was the unprecedented time in history when pastors and preachers across the globe preached at empty stadiums. I think God called a time out and I said, you know what, you guys are building corporations, you're all about percentages, you're all about filling seats, you're all about big flashy buildings and, and all of those things. Well, I'm going to call a time out and redirect the church. And here's one thing that I found, uh, not here by the way, we, we were blessed, thank you Lord, but, but across the board, here's one thing we found uh, after COVID. Many of the pastors were saying, we're only at best 70% attendance. We lost 30% of the people through COVID. And the reality is that what COVID allowed for many people was for them to put their hand up and say, you know what? For many years, we've been coming every five, six weeks. We tick a box and we punch a time card. But Jesus isn't a reality for us. God shook his church. God's still shaking his church. time for us to ask the right questions. Lord, where do you want us to go? Why did you call the time out? What what were we getting wrong? Verse 7, and they said to one another, come let us cast lots. That's the akin to rolling the dice. But it was an actual enormous step of faith because what they are actually saying when they cast the lots here or when they roll the dice, God is in control of every roll of the dice. They cast lots and that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us and and what is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Have a listen to the answer of Jonah. Jonah says, now standing up amongst the pagans, here's what he's got to say. He's got to take a stand amongst these rough and ready sailors and he says, I am a Hebrew. Right, And if you were a whale today, he'd say the Hebrews don't taste real good, but I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, or in the, in the Hebrew, I worship the Lord. He's standing on that boat in the middle of that storm and he says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a child of God, I'm, a, I, I, I'm part of Israel and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And what are they thinking? What are you doing? You worship the God that created the sea and you're trying to run away on a boat? The men were exceedingly afraid and they said to him, what is this that you have done for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And so 
They said to me, what shall we do to you that the sea may may quieten down for us? The sea grew more and more tempestuous and he said to them, and if you if you've got the hard copy this morning, you need to underline this, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Friends, let's deal with the individual application first. Everybody wants to come into their calling. But friends, can I tell you, until you're willing to lay down your life and pay the price... You know, in church circles, you spend five minutes in Pentecostal circles and you're going to hear the word revival. Uh, Whether you call it revival, whether you call it reform, whatever you want to call it, uh, a visitation from God, that's what we need today. Friends, we we are living in a time, and and just like in the time of Jonah, by the way, we're about to get to the greatest recorded revival in history. By density, I mean everybody in the city, including the cows, I think the cats even. Yeah, I I think they had a crack too. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Everybody repents. And so here we sit in church circles, we come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and we, and we talk about revival and we preach about revival and we sing about revival and we get the Holy Ghost goosebumps and we get all excited. But are you willing to pay the price and lay down your... Are you willing to pay the price to see this place here come to their knees for Christ? Are we willing to pay that price? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to lay down your life? Here's what Jesus said when some Greeks came to see him. Some Greeks came to see Jesus in John chapter 12. If the Greeks come, you know it's all over, right? But the Greeks come and Jesus says, my hour has come, and here's what he says. Uh, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. The call, Dietrich Bonhoeffer made it clear. When God says, come follow me, he bids a man come and die. Lay down your life. Lay down your desires. Lay down your priorities. How many people could look at your Facebook profile today and distinguish you from them? The greatest witness we have is Facebook. Tell everybody on Sunday, I'm going to church. C.H. Spurgeon said these words, so please don't email me after these. C.H. Spurgeon said that every believer is either a missionary or an imposter. Every single person in this room is a missionary. God has placed you on a boat. He's commanded us to speak. He's commanded us to stand. And I am convinced that if we will speak and stand for him, lay aside our agendas, I'm convinced that God will visit this place. You see... Let's answer that question. Why didn't God just move on to another person? Because we get mission-focused, right? We're goal-focused. We're focused on reaching point B. We go from point A to point B. We're, we're focused on numbers, and, and we know revivals come, and this has happened, and that's happened, and, and all those sorts of things. But hang on a second for a moment. God's not focused on the mission. He's focused on the missionary. Because Jonah's worth it. Because you are worth it. And the fact that God chases Jonah is an amazing act of grace. That he bothers to chase a rebellious prophet. 
pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Why? Because Jonah knows the only means of salvation for you, the only means of rescue for you guys on the boat is if I lay down my life. Cast me into the sea, he says, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard. How many of us do that? How many of us go, no, 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 we'll just work harder. We'll just, we'll just paddle harder. We'll just, we'll, we'll just create more programs. We'll, 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 we'll have longer prayer meetings. We'll, we'll, no. It just says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men, here's the conclusion, right? Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows on the boat. And if they lit a fire and had a burnt sacrifice on the boat, that's courageous. Uh, Verse 17 should actually be chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and the Lord appointed. And if you read that in the Hebrew, it says this, and the Lord had already appointed. Before Jonah was in the sea, before the guys picked him up and chucked him over, God has a talk to a fish. We don't know what kind of fish it was. We just know it was the kind that I catch. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord had already appointed. God appointments in our lives. Anybody ever had a God appointment? Yeah. I think if we went around the room here, most people would say, you know what, I've had appointments. Most people, I'm sure, would say, I haven't been interrupted once, Pastor. I've been interrupted many times. We all have, right? God, he has a way of interrupting us and rerouting us and redirecting us. And the Lord appointed a great fish. You'll read that same phrase about four times in chapter four. The Lord appoints, appoints a bush, he appoints a worm, he appoints a wind. All to get a message to Jonah. Now Jonah finds himself in the belly of the whale. Jonah is alone. Jonah is in circumstances that are completely out of his control. Ever been there? Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you are not going to come into your calling until you go through the belly of the whale. I like to call the belly of the whale. Another way you could uh, phrase what happens here to Jonah is called hugging the cactus. It's where you become so enclosed with the reality of two things, uh, your own sinful condition and God's awesome, wonderful power and grace. It's where you have to confront the reality. Jonah is in the belly of the whale. He's out of control. Uh, He's there until God says he's no longer there. And here's what we learn. What do we learn? If you find yourself in the belly of the whale, I want to give you three things today that might be able to help you because you're going to find yourself in this place. It's a place where we have to come eyeball to eyeball with who we are and where we can't get out and we're out of control and we have to trust God. Here's the first thing. Stop speaking to the fish and start praying to God. 
Uh, there's theology today that says, you know what, when you find yourself in adverse circumstances, you just get up and rebuke the wind and the waves and you just tell the fish, <laughs> you can rebuke all you like. You can talk to the fish all you like, but until we begin to talk and pray, to, have a look at what Jonah does. Uh, he's in the belly of the whale, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Uh, Jonah didn't say, you know what, when I get out of this, Lord, I'm going I'm to follow you and love you and pray to you. That's not what Jonah says. Jonah says, I better start praying. Because I didn't put myself here, God's put me here. So until I deal with God, maybe there's people in this room that say, I'm in the belly right now. Where God's doing a deep work. Number one, start praying. Number two, uh, if you read through the, go home and read the prayer of Jonah, you'll actually find that about 95% of this prayer is all quoted from the Psalms. Yeah. Every one of these verses, you can find these same verses. Uh, Jonah is reciting the Psalms uh, from the belly of the whale. Have a listen to what he says, verse 3. You cast me into the deep, O God. You're the one that put me here into the heart of the seas. It's, it's your waves, it's your billows that passed over me and, and you're the one that has surrounded me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, he says. But then you come down to verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. This is a time to remember the Lord. Number one, pray to the Lord. Don't speak to the fish. Waste of time talking to the fish. I've been talking to fish. Uh, they call me the fish whisperer. An allowed one. But they hear me. But it's never done me any good when God puts me in the belly of the whale. Number one, pray to God. Second one, remember the Lord. It's time to turn around. Hang on a second. I've been running away from you. I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. I remembered. I took stock. I waited. I Hang on a second. The last one is, uh, we're going to come down to a verse which J.I. Packer says, you can hinge the whole Bible on this one verse. It's actually taken from Psalms chapter 3 as well. Come down to verse 9. But, uh, but I, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. What's he doing? He's turning back to God. What I vowed to you, O God, I will pay that. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. What's Jonah saying? You're the sovereign God. You're the one that's in charge. That word salvation is found 73 times in the Old Testament and every single time it's the same word, Yeshua. And you shall call his name Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. Come to chapter 3 today. We're going to move really quickly, bring this to a close this morning. But here's some grace for you. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You can run as far as you want. You can run as fast as you want. You can ignore God all you like, but his callings are irrevocable. He will just pick up right where he left off. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The fish has vomited him out on dry land, uh, not on the shores of Nineveh because they're not near the coast, uh, but he has vomited him out on dry land and the word of the Lord comes again. You can't run away. I haven't changed my mind. I still have a calling for you, Jonah. Uh, some good news this morning. Uh, on the other side of God's interruptions are always something better, something greater and something more glorious. The process may look rough, but it's always better on the other side. God is always wanting to interrupt us to take us to a better place. 
Sometimes he's got to do a deep work in us. And for those that are here thinking, you know, maybe you're young and, and you've got aspirations for ministry, I think you should, and I, and I would bless you for doing that. But there's something you need to know. If you were, if you were in a church in the middle of Europe <clears throat> in the 17 and 1800s, there's a very high chance, because many of the churches in those days, uh, the preacher didn't have a microphone, so they used to have to climb up a set of stairs and stand on a top of a, like a, 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 a terrace and preach from the top so you could hear them. But in the churches in Europe throughout the 17 and 1800s, that staircase was moulded into the shape of a whale. And the stairs would run up through the belly of the whale and then you would reach the top where the pulpit was and that was both a parable and a very nice piece of furniture at the same time. And the parable is that before you reach your vocation and your calling, before you have the right to stand and declare God's word, you must go through the belly of the fish. You're welcome this morning. All of us go through hard times. All of us know about the belly of the whale. But only in Christ does our hard times and our dark moments have the greatest purpose. Prosperity is the world's worst teacher. We learn our greatest lessons in our darkest moments. We learn our greatest and deepest truth. We see more of God in the belly of the whale than we do when we're on the shores of Israel. We see more of God in those moments and God says you will not come into your calling until you've gone through the belly of the whale. Sounds like this. Uh, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an exquisite, exquisite preacher from the last century, the 19th century. Uh, There was a young preacher uh, who they said could preach the birds out of the trees. And they come to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and say, have you heard this guy preach? Have you? He goes, yes. And they go, well, what about this guy? And he says, he's not ready yet. And they say, what do you mean he's not ready? He says, he hasn't been through anything yet. You see, uh, we'll get to Daniel. We'll get to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We'll get to those guys. But if they were here today, those three men would tell you, you don't have any right to walk through the furnaces of life until you've singed a few hairs yourself. Until you've taken God in arm and walked through the furnaces of life, you have no right. And God takes us through those furnaces so that we can go back and bring people through those same things. If Jonah was here today, he would come and get the microphone and he would say, stop running from God. You can't. If Jonah was here, he'd say, what took me a horrendous experience and too long a period of time to get, he would ask us to get it. That Nineveh is waiting for us. God is ready. Are we ready? Chapter 4 is an interesting chapter. We're told straight out. You can read it when you get home. Jonah tells us straight out. Jonah preaches, by the way. He doesn't mention God. Doesn't mention anything. Calls out against them and all of them repent. 
Jonah repents in the belly of the whale. They repent. All of them repent. Here's how to know when you are in the middle of revival. If you want to know what the hallmark is, it's, it's not when the worship goes for an extra two songs. It's not when the preacher decides we're not preaching today. We'll just keep singing it. It's not when you get goosebumps and your hair stands up. It doesn't happen for me anymore. But uh, what it is, is when people are repenting. That's when you know the Holy Spirit's moving on people's hearts. And any preacher would have been happy with these results. If you get out and say half a sentence and the whole city, including the cats and the cows, repent, you've got something right. But Jonah's ticked. Jonah's ticked. And God says, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? And God has an object lesson for him, which is all about the tree and the worm and how God has compassion on everybody. And there's an object lesson here for you, Jonah. And Jonah says, you know what? I didn't want to come here, not because I was afraid of these people. I didn't want to come here because I knew you're a gracious God and that you would have mercy and relent. And I don't like them. You see, Jonah was willing to tell them the truth, but he didn't want to be a vessel of grace. Here's what the Apostle John said when he met Jesus. The Apostle John says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we can sit here and we can say, you know what? That's all fine and dandy, Pastor. I I know I need to seek the Lord. I I understand about those moments where we go through the belly. I understand all that. But how are we going to transform? How how do I, how's God ever going to transform the people on my boat? How are we going to transform this city? Same way Jesus did. Grace and truth. My commitment is, and our commitment as a leadership here, is if you come to this church, we will tell you the truth. We will tell you what sin is. We will tell you who Jesus is. We will tell you what belief looks like. But we will also make a commitment that you will experience grace here. You see... The truth highlights our need for Christ. Grace is God's favour, an unmerited favour in our lives. Jonah was happy to tell them the truth, but he didn't want them to get any grace. Anybody ever read uh, Philip Yancey's book, It's All About Grace? Ever read the story of the the lady in there that realised... She came to a conclusion, she was a prostitute, and she came to the conclusion, you know what, I can make more money in one hour hiring out my daughter than I can in a whole night. This lady would go about the course of her life until a man, turns out, would hire the lady for an hour just to tell her about Jesus. Men, I do not recommend you do this. And if you're married, definitely don't do this. 
and he invited her to church. And she said, why would I come to church? Because if I don't feel bad enough as it is, I don't need people telling me how bad I am. And he says, why don't you come? You see, grace without truth is licence and compromise. Truth without grace is condemnation and legalism. She went to church that day and she encountered truth and she encountered grace and she gave her heart to Christ. Jesus stepped into our world with grace and truth. Sometimes the truth hurts, right? Sometimes the truth feels like hugging the cactus. But grace soothes all the wounds. As we come to a conclusion today, I want to ask a few questions. Question number one, who's on your boat and are you asleep? Is it time for you to wake up? Number two, are you willing to pay the price? We talk about all this wonderful relationship with God and we talk about how one, we talk about revival and all these things. We talk about what God's done in the past. Are we willing to pay the price? The last question. The most important question. Today, whatever brought you here, will you stop running from God and turn around and embrace Him? There's people in this room that have never surrendered to Christ. Today may be your day. There's people in this room that have been running away from God and he's calling on their life for far too long. I'm going to ask Karen if she can play briefly for a few moments. As I end in prayer, I just ask that we would sit and examine our hearts. Jesus, we repeat the words of the psalmist. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who are we that you would chase us? Who are we that you would want every one of us? I pray that every rebel in this room would lay down their arms and would lift up the white flags and say, Lord, I surrender today.
we would surrender to your will, we would surrender to your plan for our lives, that we would stop trying to build our own plan and our own kingdom. Wake us up, Lord. Interrupt us. pray for each and every one of us as we go forth that Lord you would Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast To be notified when the next episode is available subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode